Well, let's turn in our Bibles uh, to Matthew chapter 13. We're not going to be dealing exclusively with the parable. We're going to be using the parable uh, and looking at it to, to ask this question, where is our treasure? Where is your treasure? Is Jesus Christ your treasure? This is what we were looking at with the young people yesterday. Uh, I thought it would be really useful for us to look at it because like the last verse in 2 Corinthians 6 says, we need to fix our eyes on what is unseen because it's easy to see the things that are seen. They're just all around us. Here they are. Here's stuff that we can see. Our clothes, our cars, our buildings, our houses, our job, our friends. They're all right here in front of us. It's harder to keep our eyes fixed on what is unseen. The things that are seen are temporary. They're passing away. We've seen that this week. You, you can have your house built securely and then the floodwaters come rushing in and either demolish it or ruin it. What seemed to be reasonably permanent it wasn't. And for us, whoever we are this morning, we need to ask this question, is Jesus our treasure? Not simply, am I a Christian? But is Jesus continuing to be my treasure? And how can I treasure him more? Um, in Matthew 6, Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then he says this, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where the thing we value is, there our heart will be, and our heart the seat of our emotions, our worries, our anxieties, our, our in a sense, our, our energy, as it were, to keep going in life. Where our treasure is, if we get it right, then that'll help us live in a world that's really hard. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, he talks about despairing. He talk, or sorry, he talks about being perplexed. He talks about being hard-pressed. He talks about being persecuted. He talks about being struck down. But he says because his eyes are fixed not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, he is not despairing. He is not abandoned. He is not um, crushed by all that's going on. He is not destroyed. So here's, here's the fuel to live the Christian life. It's found in treasuring Jesus. And Jesus says this because he's concerned for us. He knows that we live in a world with substitute, uh, substitute treasures. And if we get our treasure wrong, we could miss out forever. He knows that you can be a Christian and get your treasure wrong so that your heart, your joy, your happiness, your contentment, your hope can be invested in the wrong things and they can leave you crushed and disappointed. And this is, this is an important thing for us to consider and grasp. So where is your treasure? Where is your treasure? I said to the young people yesterday that they're at a, a key stage in their lives. 
because there's going to be a competition for your heart. But actually, there's always a competition for our heart. Always. You know, there's a competition for our heart at every stage. It just changes what the competition is. And so we all need to be on this lifelong exploration of the treasure that Jesus speaks of here. In the parable, there's two things that I want us to see. First of all, I want us to grasp the greatness of the treasure. Grasp the greatness of the treasure. Why does Jesus tell this parable? Well, if you, if you look in Matthew 13, you'll find that Jesus tells parables and he says, The kingdom of heaven is like... Now, we'll have to come to that phrase and think about it in a moment. But the disciples misunderstood it. They thought the kingdom of heaven meant that Jesus was going to come and throw out the Romans uh, from Israel, make Israel like it was in the days of David and Solomon, brilliant and superb, uh, a peace-filled land under their own rule, its borders extending. They thought this is what it's going to be like. Fantastic. Um, And then Jesus starts to say, well, people aren't going to pay much attention. He tells them a parable about the sower sowing the seed and some of it lands in the rocky path and it's, it's not even, it's, it's, it doesn't even take any root. Some of it takes root for a short time and only some of it takes root that bears any fruit. And then he says, well, this kingdom, you know a mustard seed? Well, it's the smallest of all seeds, Jesus says. This kingdom's going to start like that. They're hoping it would start like all of Israel, you know, and, and all the nations coming. That it would start there, but no, Jesus says it's going to be tiny. Then he says, well, and then there's going to be enemies, and they're going to, and he tells a parable about a, a farmer who's sown his corn, and then, uh, or his wheat, and then somebody else, an enemy, has sown weeds in amongst it. You can imagine the disciples' shoulders getting more and more drooped, and their knees just, just as they get more and more discouraged by this. He's being realistic, telling them what it's going to be like. But then he tells two parables. Tiny, micro parables that lift their eyes from these truths to remind them of the greatness of the kingdom. We need to hold both together. And as we think about the treasures today, this is to equip us to live when we're hard-pressed, as Paul puts it, when we're perplexed, when life is tough. Because we have this treasure in the jars of clay, Paul says. Our bodies are fragile and frail. Our lives are easily broken and fall apart. But we've got treasure. And it's to lift our eyes from the clay to the treasure. That's what Jesus wants them to do. And that's what he wants us to do. And that's why he tells this little parable. So, as we look at the parable, one of the things that we don't want to do is to get hung up on details that aren't relevant to the main point. The main point of the parable is there is something of such stupendous worth that if you found it, it would be worth everything else that you've got. So we want to grasp the greatness of the treasure and not get caught up in details like, well, what, was he right to, to, to not tell the owner of the field about the treasure and all those sorts of things? Jesus, as we'll say in a moment, is talking about something that was 
well, we can't say a common occurrence, but a common aspiration, a common desire that people had, that it did happen frequently enough, this finding treasure, and we'll find out why in a moment. But the big punch is that there is a treasure that is glorious, that is worth everything we've got. And that's what we want to see. Three things to see here about this treasure. First of all, uh, and mostly this point, it's an overwhelming treasure. It's an overwhelming treasure. In Bible times, if you were going away from home for any length of time, or if there was a war uh, going on, an invading force, you hid your valuables in the ground. Um, you didn't put them in the banks. There weren't banks in every village. Uh, in fact, there weren't really banks at all. Uh, and this was fine as long as you returned. But if you took sick while you were away, or you were killed in, in the war, uh, then the valuables remain buried in your field. And your field was maybe sold on to somebody else and sold on to somebody else. And 20, 30, 40, 100 years later, some random farm laborer is out digging a hole in the field and he, his spade hits something. Maybe it's a, a clay jar. Maybe it's a wooden uh, box. Maybe it's a bag that, that clinks as a, his spade hits it. And because of the uncertainties of life and because of the lack of banks, this was what people did. And to stumble across treasure was everyone's dream and it was well within the realms of possibility. And so this man has found incredible treasure. A bit like a clip I saw on the Antiques Roadshow once where there was an older man and he was standing there with a blanket and it looked the plainest, dullest blanket you could imagine. It was black stripes and cream stripes. And that was it. And uh, it was on... you know up on a board, and uh, the expert came over, and the expert nearly choked when he saw it. Um, and uh, he says, oh, tell me about this blanket. And the man says, well, it's just been sitting on a chair in our home for a lot of years, and uh, I just thought I would bring it along today. Turned out it was worth between, well, what the expert said, between three hundred and $500,000. Um, actually, uh, it sold for $1 million. But the story gets better. There was another man was watching this episode of the Antiques Roadshow in Southern California. Uh, he had lost his leg in a car accident, he was struggling to live off disability benefit payments. And he's watching the Antique Roadshow and he sees this blanket, which was a Navajo chief's blanket, uh, first phase ute, it was called. Um, before they started doing any fancy patterns, they did these really plain ones. So the plainer, the more uh, ancient it was. There are only about a hundred in existence. And he's hearing all this stuff and he, he looks at his seat and he's sitting in one. <laughs> and this man known as Big LT from Southern California uh, takes his blanket and gets it valued and sells it at auction for 1.8 million. A treasure of overwhelming value. The man in this parable isn't sitting on it, uh, literally, but he, he, he finds it as he's digging in the field. And imagine him going home and trying to convey to his wife the overwhelming value of the treasure he's got or he's found. He, he's probably gone perhaps to the owner of the field and said, you know, I'm thinking of 
you know, trying to improve myself a bit and uh, maybe t- take a little plot of land and, and try and farm it myself. Saved a bit of money. Would you sell me a field? What about the one I was working in today? And uh, I said, oh, yeah, well, I would sell it to you for so much. And the man, oh, that's way more than I've got. And he goes home to his wife and he's been totting up things as he goes home. And he goes home to his wife and says, Pet, the, I want to buy a field. She says, oh, why not? You know, how much will it cost? Well, you know, I've added it up. And if we, if we sell, uh, well, if we take our savings that we've scraped together and take, uh, well, actually, Pet, we're, we're going to have to sell uh, the animals. Um, start outside the house. Now we're going to have to sell the animals, uh, and then uh, we're going to have to sell maybe some of the grain that we've saved for, for, the, for, for next year's bread, next month's bread, uh, and then we're going to have to sell maybe, maybe some of the furniture, and she's starting to wonder where this is going, because she knows what men are like, and she knows where it's building to, and she says, well, Pet, we're going to have to sell some of your china, uh, and some of, uh, well, in fact, all of uh, our clothes, really, pretty much, and, well, we're going to have to sell the house imagine and then he starts to say to her no no but Peter, I haven't lost my mind there is a treasure that I found and it's in this field and believe me dear I took it out of the jar and I counted it out and it, we can buy ten houses the kingdom of heaven Jesus says is this valuable that if we had to give up everything it would be worth it And I want us to grasp here what Jesus is saying when he says the kingdom of heaven. He's not just talking about having your sins forgiven. He's not just talking about getting to heaven when you die. If our idea of Jesus is limited to what he did on the cross, then Jesus will not be our treasure. He will only ever be fire insurance or hell insurance. You know, well, you know, if we find ourselves dying and facing eternity, well, there we go. We've got Jesus. That's eternity sorted. If our idea of Jesus is limited to where he is taking us, he will not be a treasure. He will just be some sort of passport. But no, he's a treasure. The kingdom of heaven is much greater than simply having our sins forgiven and where we go when we die. And we need to see it so that we will treasure it and also so that people around us will treasure it. You know, if it was only having our sins forgiven, it would be a treasure of immense worth. If it was only going to heaven, it would be a treasure that we couldn't put a value on. But it's even greater than that. And that's what I want us to see this morning. Yes, it's those things. But it's also being adopted with God the Father as our Father, and to be loved unconditionally by Him in a world that only loves us conditionally. It's to be indwelt by God the Holy Spirit. Imagine that. If you're a Christian this morning, you have one of the members of the Trinity living in you, shaping you, helping you, strengthening you, encouraging you, helping you make decisions, praying for you. You have that privilege. There are people around you and you meet them every day and they are just simply human beings. But you are a human being indwelt by God the Holy Spirit. Being guided by God himself. Being shaped by him. 
It is a, the kingdom of heaven is the certainty that the, you're the, the king of this kingdom, that you're a citizen of the kingdom. He is on the throne of the universe at the control room of all that's happening and he's ruling all things, every atom, every interaction, every intersection of people and places and events and conversations. He's orchestrating it all for your good. That's what it is to be in this kingdom. That we belong to that kingdom and our king is doing that. We talked a couple of weeks ago with the children about God's providence and how a missed subway train, something as minor as that, led uh, to saving 50, 60, 70 dollars. I was thinking this week how actually a flat tire led to Declan coming into contact with me. It wasn't even his flat tire, it was Joe's flat tire. No, it was Joe's sister's flat. There's even two steps removed again. You know, and think, think of the, the chain of consequences of that and the people that, that have heard the gospel and people that have come to faith because of a flat tire. That's what it is to be in the kingdom of heaven. We have a king who is sovereign over such details as a flat tire. And we had one on Friday night, and I don't know what's going to come out of it, but I know the king's sovereign over it. But, you know, this, this, is, this is what it is to belong to. The, this is the treasure that we have. Nothing can happen in this world to you except your king, who's your father in heaven, allows it because he sees all things and he says, this is the best option for this person. Where do you see the way this will turn out eventually? And for all eternity, he knows that you will praise him for what happened in that moment. Astonishing. This is the treasure of belonging to the king. His ways are good and even his, his hard pathways, when he takes us through the veil of tears, it's so that we can enjoy the richness of his blessings and see aspects of who he is that we've never seen before and couldn't otherwise see. It's even his commands. And he says, this is, this is the way you should live. Those aren't simply the commands of a king. Those are the instructions of our Father in heaven, who is the Lord of all time. And when he says, this is the best way to live, as I was saying to the young folks yesterday, it's a bit like you're sitting a test, and the teacher who's going to mark the test is walking past your desk and sees what you've written, and he he nudges you and you look up and he goes, no, not that. That one. Pick that one. Do it that way. It'll work out better for you if you pick that one. Oh, okay, pick that one. You know, that, God's commands are from, it's not that he's made a list of rules because they're just simply good rules. He, they are good rules, but he also knows how they will all unfold in our lives. And he's saying, do it this way. Go on, do it this way. It'll turn out for the best. That's what it is to be part of his kingdom. This is the richness, the overwhelming worth of the kingdom. The world comes to us and it says, ah, we have got approval for you. 
We've got friendships for you and we need to see the unseen and see that the approval we have comes from Almighty God himself. And on the day of judgment, the approval of people will matter nothing to us, but the approval of God will matter everything to us. The world comes to us and it offers us its friendships and we say, no, no, this is, they offer us their friendships on condition that we don't go on about Jesus, that we don't follow him, that we tone down our beliefs and we need to see the richness of the treasure is ours that we'll say, no, look, if that's the price, that's too high. I'm not letting go of this treasure to hold on to this. We need to see the richness of the treasure the world would offer me its help at a price. The world will offer some of you jobs or opportunities maybe for, for, for work or for business or for whatever, but it'll come at a price, a price of not keeping the Lord's day, a price of not maintaining your integrity. Just, put, just ignore that a minute. Ignore those things a moment and, and you'll be able to make more money. You'll be able to make the most of an opportunity. It might be for some that you'll get a job. You'll say, no, the price is too high. My father will provide and he'll take care of all that I need. But I won't let go of the treasure that's mine. It's an overwhelming treasure. Do you grasp the overwhelming nature of it? We'll come in a minute or two just to look at how we grasp it. But let me mention two other things about this treasure that we've already said, but I just wanted them to be set out uh, there on the sheet. Uh, It's a present treasure. It's a present treasure. It's not simply that we get heaven when we die. We haven't paid a deposit. This man didn't pay a deposit to get the field sometime in the future. He got the treasure. He got it. The pearl merchant didn't lay down a deposit and say, I'll come back and I'll get that pearl eventually. The treasure was his. It was his. And if you're a Christian, you have it now. Oh, there's more to come. But you have got the treasure now. You've got the down payment. You've got the first installment. It's present now. And we have an enemy who doesn't want you to see it. He wants you to see the stuff that's happening every day, the stuff uh, that's going on that doesn't look as if your father's in control of the details. He'll throw all that up in your field of vision. But you have treasure now. And it's a joy-inducing treasure, a joy-bringing treasure. Living for Christ in this world will mean loss. The man sold everything. He had to let go of some things that were important to him. But it's it's not a loss that's got a full stop at the end of the sentence. It's not a letting go that has nothing to hold on to. It is a loss so that we can have. It is a letting go so that we can get more of Christ. And that's why we need to grasp the wonder of what's offered to us by God. Not simply future but here and now, so that we get joy from it, so that we will live for Christ now, whenever smaller treasures and smaller opportunities are offered to us in ways that are contrary to God's Word, and they seem like treasure to us. They're what we wanted, 
But we see the price is too high. And we say, no, no, I've already got a treasure that outweighs that treasure. I'm not letting go of it to take hold of this. Well, that leads us to our second point. How? How do we do this? How do we relish the treasure? Because it's like one of those scenes in one of those Pirates of the Caribbean type movies where they found treasure in a cave and they go back into the cave and the cave goes back further than they realised and then it leads to another cavern that opens out into yet another cave and all of them are full of treasure. This is a lifelong exploration. Finding out how great it is to be part of Christ's kingdom. Let me say four things. One is make sure you've got the treasure. Make sure you've got the treasure. This treasure is not a treasure that you want to miss out on. Imagine the man watching the Antiques Roadshow, sitting on his blanket that's worth 1.8 million, thinking, oh, there you go. That's nice. Maybe I'll do something with that. Uh, And two weeks later, uh, he's robbed. And amongst the stuff that's taken, uh, the blanket's gone. Missed opportunity. He'd be kicking himself. Well, how much more serious would it be to miss out on this treasure and to be kicking ourselves for all eternity that we had the opportunity to grasp it, to be part of the kingdom that wins, that has already won, and yet we said no. So don't don't miss the treasure. Secondly, how do we treasure it? How do we grow in our valuation of this? Treasure Christ. Well, there's three theologians and preachers sometimes talk about Jesus as our Redeemer. He, he, he does that role in three ways. He's a prophet, he's a priest, and he's a king. And that's what I want us to see here. We, let's treasure Christ as our loving Saviour. In his role as priest. Let's treasure him in that. Let's try to see more of it. Let's try and understand the cross more. Let's make it our goal to read to read a book about Jesus every year. It might even be the same book. So that we will grasp more and more who he is and what he did. Um, just this week with the Go team, I was talking about uh, using some of the stuff that's in Isaiah to, to praise God. And I said, there's three great chapters, Isaiah 6, Isaiah 40, Isaiah 53. And as I was speaking, I started to, to, to see those three coming together and acting as a lens through which we can see more of Jesus. And it's incredible. Isaiah 6, the holiness of God. Marvel at it. But then read that chapter and then read Isaiah 40 and marvel at the power of God and then read Isaiah 53 and marvel that that holy God would be pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities, that that powerful God would stand there like a sheep before his shearers and be silent so that you could be forgiven. Marvel at that. And as you grow in... in the Bible's like a giant jigsaw. And as you get more pieces of the jigsaw, you'll start to see the bigger picture. And you'll stand back more and more. And you'll see the big picture is all about the God who saves us. And it'll become more detailed and more glorious. And you'll treasure Christ more and more. 
in his work as your saviour. But that's not all he's doing for you. Even now he's acting as your priest. He's praying. He knows what you face this week. He knows what you face in your pressures, in your personal life, in your family life, with your relations, with the people you work with. He knows. And right now, do you grasp that he is at the right hand of God interceding for you, that you will be provided all that you need? Treasure that. Grasp it. Treasure Christ as your living word. How do we appreciate Christ more? How do we grasp the richness of this treasure? Well, right now, he's speaking to you through his word. He, the king of glory, is speaking in letter Kenny this morning to you through his word being read and proclaimed. And in a minute, he is going to say, my dear people, I want you to hear my particular blessing on you. He's going to speak in a moment a word of blessing in the benediction at the end of the service. So that as you go out into this week, you go out with the blessing of God. Not a prayer, not a wish, but it's as if Jesus himself were here. In fact, not Jesus himself, but God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are here. And I owe this illustration to Judith. She she pictured it for me. She says when she hears the benediction, she Here's the, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. She imagines it where Christ piling up gifts that she knew, he knows she needs for the week ahead. Here, you'll need this this week. And you'll need that this week. And I'm going to supply these things for you this week because you'll need them. Before you go out into the week, Christ saying, all the grace that you need, there it is, all the gifts that you need, there they are. And then the Father, the love of God the Father, your Father in heaven, He says, before you go out into this week, I want you to know that I love you. That I love you. And I will love you every day of this week. I love you. And then the Holy Spirit, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes and says, well, you're not going out into this week alone. Come on, let's go and face it together. That's treasuring the living word of your prophet, the Lord Jesus Christ, speaking to you through even the benediction. He's saying to you, this is what it is as you go out into this world. And we hear the benediction and we're thinking, right, it's nearly time to finish and it's coffee time and then we go home for dinner and we can devalue it. We need to treasure. You're not coming to hear Mark Lockridge or Johnny McCollum preach. You're coming to hear the living word of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do we treasure it? Do we treasure Christ as our overruling king and I can only be very very brief here we need to treasure the overruling king that we've got who orchestrates everything we need to relish what he's doing in our lives relish the things that he gives to us those wonderful providences some of them completely inconsequential we look at them and we think wow You didn't have to do that, but thank you. You But you've done it. Lord, what, what a kind Father in heaven I have. What a wonderful King I've got. 
Your friends might call them luck or coincidence, but they seem to happen far too frequently because you're noticing them. You're treasuring them. You're seeing his fingerprints all over your life. And look what he's doing. And maybe it's in the big, hard providences. And you can look back and you can say, Ah, if the Lord had not been on our side, I would have been swept away. Maybe you remember a service when the Word of God came powerfully to you. Think, Thank you, Lord. The King spoke to me today. And I just happened to be here. Maybe it was a visiting preacher that, <laughs> that your King brought to say something to you because he's king over everything and he organizes you to be there and somebody to be here. Maybe you're, maybe you're visiting this morning. Maybe you're visiting another church and you just happen to be there. No, you don't just happen to be there. Your father orchestrated that you would be there to hear that that day because he loves you. And it's not just that he's ruling over you personally. Read And even watch, we've been watching sometimes at our Bible studies a series of DVDs called Frontline Missions. And they're these fascinating DVDs setting out what God is doing in different places around the world. What's the king do? Treasure what the king's doing. Read biographies. Look at missionary magazines. Some of them come in here and it's exciting to read what the king is doing. Treasure it. Because he's your overruling king. If Christ is your treasure, then your heart will be safe. No matter what this world throws at you, Christ will be your success, your approval, your reward. And I know it's hard and Satan keeps coming and he keeps trying to to blind us with putting the stuff of this world in front of us. But let's work hard at treasuring who Christ is, what it is to be part of his kingdom. And even this morning, if you're just saying, Lord, show me your glory. Show me it again. I need to see it again. Let me see it more clearly so that that I will not lose hope, so that I will not despair, but so that... I can see what is unseen and so that I can keep on going. Let's stand if we're able and come to God in prayer. Father in heaven, that you would include us in such a glorious kingdom. That you would include us in such a glorious kingdom at such a high price. We marvel at that. We thank you. We, we are just filled with gratitude. For we don't belong. We marvel at all the things that you did to bring us into the kingdom. The people that brought the gospel to us. The places we had to be. And long before that, that God the Son would come into the world and give himself out of love for us. And even before that, that you would have set your love on us from before Time even began. Oh, what a wonderful thing it is to be part of your kingdom. Let us see the treasure. Help us to fix our eyes on what is unseen and not on what is seen. Help us to see ourselves as staggeringly rich beyond any valuation that this world can put on it. Beyond any friendship this world can offer. Beyond any liking or approval or opportunity that this world can give. 
Help us to see that we are rich beyond measure. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name, for his sake. Amen.